Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. This is the place where you'll find real conversations with real sales leaders about how you can leverage sales technology to get ahead of the pack. Improve your sales numbers by taking advantage of emerging technology before your competitors get there first. They'll share everything from the trends they're seeing in the marketplace to actionable strategies that you can use to make more sales today. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen. And on. Here's your host, Morgan Williams. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. I am your host, Morgan Williams, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing David Massover, owner of David Massover Consulting. Sales and company leaders hire David when they want more of their leads to convert into opportunities, more effective movement of opportunities into and out of rep pipelines, and more visibility and control for management over these processes. Having worked in sales management since 1991, he's seen firsthand how reps and organizations struggle to get consistent and focused results, how management struggles to move the collective needle, and how hard it can seem to even find the right levers to make a meaningful impact. David is the author of The Salesman's Guide to Dating, Mastering Your Sales Process, and Managing the Sales Process. His published works all embody the essence of the work that he does with his private coaching and consulting clients and captures the lessons learned in his career and through his efforts to improve the effectiveness of his peers, staff, trainees, and clients. David, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. That David you described sounds like a heck of a guy. I can't wait <laughs> yeah, to meet him. Right. <laughs> He's done a lot of stuff, man. I'm, I'm feeling somewhat, you know, Absolutely. inadequate listening to all that. I'm <laughs> kidding, man. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Can you walk us through your background and how it's led sure. to what you're doing now in consulting? Yeah, sure. So the story starts a long time ago. I won't walk you all the way through, but I got my first sales job in 1991. I was selling computer supplies, like discs and ribbons, like pure commodity stuff. And I was terrible. I mean, I was really bad. I had no training. My training was like, here's your desk, here's your phone, here's your call list, good luck. And I had no idea what to do. I was listening to the people next to me having these like really fun conversations and they finished in orders. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. The reason that's relevant is that the way that I solved that problem, which is I don't know how to sell, is that I created the sales process. Now, I later learned that somebody else had created it long before me, but I didn't know that. <laughs> and, you know, my thinking was like, I don't know how to get a sale. That's like this big abstract thing. But if I break it down, no problem. So how do you break it down? Well, what am I selling and who needs it and why do they need it? And why is mine better? And why should they buy it from me? And where can I find them? And how should I reach out? And what should I say? And when you chop it up into little bits like that, all of a sudden the whole thing is like, okay, I understand what I need to do. And then you can optimize each of the little pieces and then tie the little pieces together and then make sure that you're doing the early stuff in such a way that it sets up the later stuff. 
and I got to tell you, it's been almost 30 years since I've been in sales. And that methodology, that approach is something that has served me through my entire career as a salesperson, which continues to this day. I sell my own services now as a manager, as a vice president, as an executive, as an author, as a consultant. So, I mean, obviously there's other things that I do, but using this as a focal point, you know, let's break down what it takes to get a sale. Let's make sure those pieces are correct. Let's make sure that they're supported by process and tech and strategies and they, they're aligned and people are clear about what they're supposed to do and they know how they're supposed to do them. So that really is my career in essence. Right now I'm doing consulting with organizations, which I love because a lot of times an outside perspective can really help companies to look at those challenges in a new way. And they come out stronger and better and faster and able to generate more revenue. The reps feel better. The boss feels better. So it's really rewarding work. And it all starts with that struggle that I had back when I started. Gotcha. So you saw this, you know, big sales process and decided to break it down into chunks and, and try and optimize each piece moving forward down the pipeline. So exactly. For someone who, let's say if they're in charge of a team, let's say from a sales rep who's managing their own pipeline or someone who's in charge of a team, a lot of times people are in a company and you know they're kind of stuck doing the way things that they've always done, right? The company's kind of stuck on a certain path or maybe someone's new and handling their book of business and they're just trying to figure it out and kind of build the airplane as they're flying it. What are some ways, you know, kind of at a high level to kind of think about the process and start to make those modifications and optimize? Like I said, I'm a one trick pony. You know, that's what's really worked for me. So I think mm -hmm. whether you're a rep or whether you're a manager or whether you're an executive trying to do this for your entire team, you know, just stop thinking about what can I do to get sales and stop thinking about any one thing along the process. But by breaking down the process into the little pieces, that's the starting point for asking the question. So once you break it down into the pieces, you're like, okay, I know what I need to do. Now, how can I do this part better? And you can brainstorm it, or you can ask around, or you can hire a consultant or a coach, or you know, like whatever you wanna do. But now it's not like, I think a lot of companies try to find the magic pill and the silver bullet, right? I'm gonna get the magic right. piece of sales tech, or I'm gonna get you know, the awesome script, or we're gonna get the really cool cadence. And all that stuff is important, but it works really well when it's integrated into a system where the pieces fit together. So that's one of the pieces. And yeah, that needs to be good. But whether you're a rep or a manager or whatever, start by looking at, okay, what does it take to get from start to finish? What are the pieces? What should I do with each one? That's a, a just kind of a macro level approach that I think is gonna serve people really well if they're trying to get better, no matter where they are now and no matter you know where they are in their organization. Gotcha. So thinking about how do I get a sale or what's the best way to get a sale is just too big a hill to climb. It's really about chopping it up and figuring out how can I, how can I lay this brick as best I can, not how can I, you know, build this humongous house, but how can I do this piece as best as possible? Yeah, um, it's a great analogy. I, I just, you know, I was telling you before we got on the phone, I just got done making chili. My son loves chili and he's, he's 16. He's like, oh, I don't know how to cook. I'm like, listen, it's no big deal. It's like lay out your ingredients, you know, prep them all, follow the steps. First you mix this and then you fry that and then you put this together. It's the same thing. It's like if you just have kind of a, a sequence of what you need to do and it's broken down, it's just easier. I mean, like, I don't know how to make chili, but I know how to follow these instructions. And when you're done, guess what? You have chili. So you know, it's just kind of a way of thinking about it. 
Absolutely. And I'm on a uh, chili for dinner, so it's all good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what comes to mind, it could be, you know, the number one thing doesn't have to be the number one thing, but what's one problem that you see over and over and over again in a sales process when it comes to, like the most common problem you see when it comes to people who have unoptimized pieces of a sales process? There is no really one thing, but mm-hmm. one of the common things that I see is um, if you think about my answer, it's like, mm, you know, let's look at the pieces. But when you look at the whole sales process, I think it's the way people are looking at it. And what I've seen when I go into a lot of companies is most salespeople, I don't want to get all philosophical, but I think most salespeople are kind of not, the kind of people that think about process and the kind of people that think about sales are, you know, two different circles and there isn't much of an overlap. Absolutely. So, you know, some of the people are like total process geeks and I've met a bunch of them and, and, but they're rare. Most salespeople are very kind of relationship oriented and personable and competitive. And, you know, there's no judgment here. It's just like, that's not something that a lot of people really spend a lot of time thinking about. So they don't have practice thinking about it. It's not that it's complicated. It's just, they don't have practice thinking about it. So a lot of times, you know, a rep will get promoted to manager and Mm -hmm. they don't really get any training and maybe they get a new CRM. And I think this is the first time a lot of salespeople or sales reps think about a process because most modern CRMs, they have, you know, what they call this Kanban board, this kind of like set of columns, you know, here's, here's, you know, step one, step two, leads, prospects, qualification, whatever, right? But it's a bunch of columns and then you drop your companies into it and then you like move them along. And the big problem that I see is that people get a CRM. They're like, okay, I got to create a sales process now because it's got to match up to the CRM. They kind of think about the big steps. Well, we got to get some leads and then turn them into prospects and then qualify them and then do discovery. And, and yeah, that's all important, but that's it. So I call that a one-level sales process. And when you have a one-level sales process, it looks and feels like you have something you can measure, but you really can't. Because if you think about it, if you don't do any more than just label those columns, you haven't asked a lot of really important questions. Like, how do I know when I should move from one stage to the next? What are the six things that I ought to find out when somebody is what I'm calling a lead? before I turn them into what I'm calling a prospect. And what does it mean for someone to be a lead? What does it mean for someone to be a prospect? And the reason that's important is, you know, if you've got five reps and you just give them that first level and tell them, listen, you know, you got to use the CRM and you got to work it through. And that's how I'm going to measure you. They're all going to kind of make up their own definitions. And that's fine for them, except you as a manager, that doesn't give you any, any visibility. Mm-hmm. because the three of your reps have this many in this column and they're moving them at this speed. It doesn't mean anything because they're all defining that differently. And I'm not a big fan of, you know, making a sales process that's so minuscule that every little move has to be calibrated. That's not the idea. But I think you want to at least get to the level of saying, if somebody's a lead, I want to find out, do they fit our ideal client profile? And are they in our target market? And have we identified the right job position. It's going to be different for every company. But until you define like, if somebody's a lead, here are the six things, and then I move them to prospect. And if they're a prospect, here are the five things. And then I want to, until you do that, you're just not going to get a lot of value out of the sales process if it's just that one level process. Absolutely. And I think it's tough to, there's this like managers, companies love data. They love projections. They love being able to, you know, map out what revenue is going to look like, which is great, which all that's important. But like you mentioned, when you have these 
stages on the Kanban, Kanban board set up, they're typically going to have weights to them, right? This mm -hmm. stage one deal is at 10% versus this stage five deal, which is at, you know, 80% or what have you. So that percentage, if everyone has a different, every salesperson's different de definition of what that percentage is, it's not going to all equal the same thing. So it's so exactly. important to exactly. have that criteria in there. And for a salesperson, it's tough because now you're getting into the more of the, I don't say the art versus the science of it, but when you start to get that criteria together, that involves you asking specific questions to find out that information. Yep. Let's say, I mean, consider whether or not the prospects are telling you the truth. How can someone start to create that criteria for their own sales process, their own sales funnel, like a sales rep? So I had described kind of the basic cam in as level one. And level two is those six pieces that are in each stage. So, you know, six things to do when they're lead, five things to do when they're a prospect. I call that level two. There's a level three. Level three is how do you do each one of those steps? And, you know, when I work with different organizations, there's kind of different appetites. Some organizations want, you know, everyone to be kind of following the same best practices. Other organizations are like, listen, I don't really care how you do it, but just this is what we need to have done. Mm -hmm. So, if you have a two-level sales process, the level three of how can be done a couple of different ways. It can be, we've discovered that there's these three really good ways to figure out the budget question. You know, I think if you're asking good questions and developing trust, then you're probably getting better information than if you're not. So one of the great things about a sales process like this is it gives a manager a more granular template for managing. So instead of just, okay, I see that you got a lead, when is it going to close? And I hear this all the time, like managers that don't know how to coach and managers who don't know how to manage and managers that don't really have a good grip on the sales process, they don't know what else to do. So I got a lead. It's like, okay, when's it going to close? But if you're in sales, you know that what it takes to get from I've got a lead to it's going to close, like that's where the magic happens. And when you've broken down your Kanban board into your two level kind of what I'm supposed to do and your third level, how I'm supposed to do it. Now, all of a sudden, the manager can really see at a granular level what's happening in between the sale, what's happening in between the time we first connected with a prospect and the time we either did or didn't win the deal. So you can either do that as a one loss analysis, the salesperson didn't get the deal and you can look back and say, okay, where did this thing fall apart? And you've got this map, this second level process or this third level process of how you're supposed to do it as a guide for the manager to coach. So I think that's how a rep can think about a, a process like this and how a manager can use it as an interface for the rep, as a coaching tool, as an accountability tool in a much more powerful way than just this one level Kanban. You know, going back to your original question, what's the big problem? The big problem is people aren't using sales process to its full potential. And by breaking it down into the second and third level, that's using more of the potential of the concept to get done what you need to get done, which is ultimately make sales. Yeah, for sure. Can you give an example of maybe someone you worked with in the past or just an example to giving context to the maybe this level two and three, like kind of what that looks like in like a real world example? Sure. So let's just stick with leads. I said there's six things you need to know. So if you think about your Kanban board, it's usually like it says leads and then you've got a bunch of companies, company A, company B, company C, Pipeliner's got it, all the popular ones have it. But instead of thinking about those as companies, think about those as like a checklist. Like this is what I need to do for one opportunity. 
mm-hmm. before I go to the next. And so what those check boxes might be, might be something like, is there an ideal client profile scorecard? So what are the six things that make up an ideal client? Certain size, certain industry, certain geography, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, okay, so I've got that. So check. What else do I need to know when somebody's lead before I move them to a prospect? Do they have, I guess you wouldn't really know if there's a need that they have. The ideal client profile is probably the most important, you know, when you're thinking about a lead, getting it to a, because when I define lead, a lead to me is somebody I haven't talked to yet. So if I know that they're an ideal client profile, then, you know, that's enough for me to reach out. That's what you might see under the lead section that would apply to everybody. Some companies might have something specific, like do they have a certain certification that they need in order to use our product? Or, you know, do they have a certain, you know, are they in the right manufacturer? But all of those you really could call ideal client profile. So then you get over to like a lead. You know, what would be the things you need to know when somebody's a lead before you decided, okay, I'm going to invest the time to thoroughly qualify them and to get into discovery, which might take a little bit longer. So are you talking to someone who, you know, this is probably your BANT stuff, even though I know BANT is very controversial, but however you execute it, you know, those are kind of the things you need to know. Are you talking to someone who's involved in the decision and do you kind of understand where they sit? And um, do they have a problem that you can recognize as something you can solve? Do they know kind of who you are and what you do? And have they at least given kind of an initial head nod to say, yeah, I get what you do and it kind of makes sense to talk about it some more. And it sounds kind of elementary, but I think a lot of people skip over that stuff because they get so excited that like, oh my God, I'm finally talking to somebody. Mm -hmm. Let's run them through the discovery checklist, even though they haven't really figured out if it's worth the time. So it's those kinds of things at level two. And then, you know, like, how are you going to do that? That's kind of a level three. Level four, which is the last level that I train people on and that I work with, is time. How long should it take? Mm. You know, how long should somebody be in level one before they go to level two? How long should somebody be in level two? Because you were talking about weighted pipelines. Right. And a lot of that is just guessing, right? Like at the yeah. end, I know it's going to be 100. So what am I going to assign to each level? And, you know, that's a good starting point. But if you look back, if you've been using a process like this for a while and you look back and say, okay, over the last six months, our successful deals kind of stay in the leads for about two weeks and they kind of stay in the prospecting for about a week. I mean, I'm just making this up, right? Mm -hmm. So if they stay in prospecting for a week and deal X has been there for four weeks, should it have the same weighted percentage? I don't think so. So first of all, it should be discounted. Second of all, it should be a red flag. Like this is a good opportunity for the manager to say, hey, this doesn't seem to be moving at the pace that things normally move. Let's dig into that. So when you have this level of granularity in your sales process, it also becomes a tool to minimize pipeline bloat, an opportunity for a manager to see that there's a need for some deal innovation or some deal intervention. Not sure if I answered your question. I hope I did. No, it does. And it actually uncovered something else that I want to comment on. These are the type of things that if people are ghosting you, it's because you haven't gone through this in the beginning. It's because you haven't asked these questions or haven't checked these boxes in the beginning. I see that as being an antidote to that, like making sure you do this groundwork up front and make sure you check all those boxes, right? Like you're saying, even if you get excited and you're like, oh yeah, well, you know, they're fit for that, that, that. It's like, no, go through and do the same thing for everybody because later on you're like, well, you know, 
everything was great and then they stopped responding is because you didn't do some work in the beginning. So I really like that because by that time it might be too late. Yeah, I, I think that's right. What you tend to see with some reps, especially that aren't very experienced, is that they think they know what they're supposed to do. They think of it in too much of a one-way, it's not a one-direction thing. You know, It's got to be interactive. Right. And when you know that you've got to get this information and that information and the other, or understand this and that and the other, or get this and that and the other answer, it requires interaction. I've got to ask this person this question. Mm-hmm. And by asking these questions and getting into these conversations early, then you're kind of setting up a discovery that's based on something legitimate. And if the discovery isn't this one-way communication of let's just check the boxes because I asked the question and now I'm moving on, if it's iterative and interactive and real communication, then the prospect is engaged. And it doesn't mean that you're going to win every deal. But when you are engaged in a conversation that's substantial for both sides, it's just less likely that somebody's going to fall out in the flake. On the other hand, if it's just you going through the motions, checking the boxes, right. the other side isn't invested. There's a lot of reason that ghosting happens. That's certainly one of them. Right. Absolutely. I want to touch on your activity on LinkedIn because I think that's going to be very helpful. You've had a LinkedIn presence that's grown. It's taking you time to do that. And I, since LinkedIn, you know, it's not a new platform, but it's gotten very popular in recent years. Can you just kind of talk about, I know, because we talked about before, the work that goes into it, and it's not Mm -hmm. an overnight thing. Can you kind of talk about your experience and growth on the platform? Sure. I was a very early adopter of LinkedIn. I was actually one of the first million members, not because I Mm. was really smart, but just because I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, and they said, man, this LinkedIn thing is cool. You should check it out. I'm like, all right. So I signed up, and I didn't really use it very much, and over time, I used it more, and It really wasn't until about two years ago that I started using it a lot. And I made a very conscious decision that I wanted to use LinkedIn and see what I could do to generate business from LinkedIn. I really had no idea what I was doing, but I just, after experimenting with a couple of different things that we probably say are not good practices, you know, kind of outreach without creating engagement, I just decided, listen, I'm just going to be present there. I'm going to create content. I'm going to interact with people. I'm going to get a feeling for what's happening. And I'm going to see what happens. And that was about two years ago. And since that time, it's kind of gone up and down. But in the last probably six months, I've been super disciplined of just posting five days a week and you know replying to every comment that comes in and interacting with different people and, and their content, people who I like, people whose content I enjoy. And it's taken some time, but it's become a really, really great prospecting platform for me. It's not prospecting in the way that most people think. It's not, I'm going to get a, you know, some automated thing that's going to send out a hundred messages to a million people and track it. And I've got my Chrome extension and I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, automatically visiting people's like, I don't know, maybe that works for some people. Most people I know find that stuff pretty obvious and pretty obnoxious. Mm -hmm. But what's happened for me is that I talk on LinkedIn about what happens in my work. So that's what makes sense to me for prospecting. I tell people, people ask me if it's tough to come up with content. I usually spend about 60 to 90 minutes on Saturday morning coming up with five posts. And either I've thought about something during the week because something came up, or I just look at last week's calendar. My theory is if I'm 
trying to speak to people who might want to work with me. I should talk about the challenges that have come up for me and my clients when we work together. And since I've been doing that, I feel like I've found what you would call your own voice. And people tell me that, you know, my content is very interesting and very authentic and it sounds very real world. I get a lot of engagement. People are interested in giving their opinion. And, you know, no one's throwing business at me. I mean, it happens. People reach out and they say, hey, can we talk about doing something? Or I'll reach out to somebody who interacted with my content who looks like a potential profile to say, hey, you know, you look like a typical client. Can we get on a call and talk about it? And, you know, like, listen, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's a funnel. As a top of funnel, LinkedIn content is really fun as a top of funnel activity, but it's taken a long time to get there. It's taken a commitment. I put in certainly an hour or three every day on LinkedIn to sustain that. Luckily, I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and business also tends to fall out of it. And I don't have a boss and I don't have a quota. I'm a one-person company. So I I think it's tough for a quota-carrying rep to commit to that unless they're getting some support. Mm -hmm. You know, but that's a little bit about what I've done and what's worked for me. And and yeah, it's, it's, uh, the engagement goes up over time, but yeah, it, it takes time. When did you start to notice like, Hey, this, this is starting to work. Like I'm getting, like I'm seeing more act, maybe not deals, but you know, those beginning signs of like activity and growth and, and followership. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking it was like week before last, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm joking. It's been a progression and uh-huh. This might sound a little weird, but it's very true. And I think it's important. You know, I'm a one person shop. And like I said, I've done the sales process work. It's what really works, but I'm a sales guy, not a marketing guy. And I Mm -hmm. think what's really important on a platform like LinkedIn is that there's also kind of a marketing element. I think of marketing as kind of one to many communication. And so for me, I think I have a lot of sales skills personally, and I'm able to help people with sales. With marketing, man, I'm the guy in the back of the class who's getting right. you know, in trouble with the teacher, right? Same. So one of the cool things about content for me has been, I'm able to see what resonates with people. Yeah. And I've kind of refined how I talk about what I do. I've added some different tools and some different ways of executing my work based on many things, but part the feedback that I get from content, part from conversations that I have with people as a result of LinkedIn content. So that might be another content creator or a colleague or somebody like you, where we get on a podcast or we have mm-hmm. a conversation you know, offline and you just learn a lot. And I think things change so quickly in our world right now in terms yeah. of sales and marketing that being involved in a dialogue is a really great way to up your skills, up your perspective, you know, keep your finger on the pulse. So it's not really this one trick binary thing. It's really Mm -hmm. like an ecosystem and being active on LinkedIn has helped me to find my place in the ecosystem and where it fits for me. So it really wasn't, there was this one moment when I saw it working. Mm-hmm. It's really an evolution. It's absolutely still happening every day. I'm learning and growing and changing and pivoting and tweaking. And I think that's what a professional does. And that's what I try to do. And I think LinkedIn can be very useful for that if you're using it in a way that it serves you well. Yeah. A couple of things on that. I've been doing this podcast for a little over a year now. And I looked at the growth of it starting from the first episode. And once I look back at like 12 months, I'm able to see like, hey, it's actually growing well. But you don't really notice that if you're looking, you know, at every 
week or every day, or there's going to be these big up, ups and downs. There was something you told me in another conversation is like these platforms crave consistency. So mm-hmm. staying consistent on them is, is super important. And for anyone too, who's listening, who maybe is thinking about starting on LinkedIn or thinking about creating content like David, or maybe has been doing it, but is kind of getting discouraged. Please realize that even if you're not getting a lot of comments, people are looking at it. Like people are looking at it, but not engaging with it. Like you're getting in front of people. A very small percentage of people actually comment or like compared to how many people are actually seeing it. So just getting in front of people in that way consistently can help you a lot as well. Absolutely true. I mean, you can just see it in the numbers. I think sometimes you can see other people's views, but the number of views versus the number of comments, it's always a really big ratio. And I can tell you just from personal experience, number one, I bump into people, they'll comment on something and we'll get into a conversation. And one of the first things they'll say is like, I've been following your content for a really long time. And I want to believe that it's because they've been following my content for a really long time that they feel like they know me and they feel like they can see that I I have some credibility in, in certain domain areas. And so they're comfortable to reach out and it's totally invisible until they raise their hand. But to your point, you know, you got to have faith in that. I don't know when you're going to post this, but just Monday I posted about something And I'm not kidding. A guy sent me a message. He said, hey, that's really interesting. That thing that you talked about, can we get on a call and talk about that? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen every day. And I'm guessing that this isn't the first post that this guy has seen because I saw that he connected to me a long time ago. He reached out several months ago because you can see that, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, you got to have faith in being consistent, man. It's huge. I think if you really want to build a following on LinkedIn, I'm not one of these like algorithm guys, like don't, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just post. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I've seen is people that post pretty consistently at least two or three times a week, but consistently over time. Those are the people who I think tend to wind up in people's feeds, wind up getting more engagement, wind up having people who know who they are. So yeah, being consistent over time, if your goal is engagement and if your goal is to generate a a personal brand or or some new business, that's super important. Awesome. And as we kind of wrap up here, David, who could get the most value out of your services or what companies can get the most value out of your services? And how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in working with you or something you mentioned today on the podcast? So I essentially do two things. I coach with individual salespeople just because I love doing it. There's not a lot of money in that, but I really like doing that. When individual salespeople are like, man, I want to get better my company's not supporting me, but I don't care. Like I'm going to do what I need to do. I've got a big soft spot for people like that. I love working with people that are that self-motivated. So if that's you and you want to jump on a call and talk about what that might look and feel like, no problem. I'd love to do that. But my main business is working with companies as a consultant and the kind of companies I generally work with, they're companies that are selling B2B. They generally have between five and maybe 30 salespeople. I work with companies that have more than that, but I find that my ability to work one-on-one with the salespeople kind of goes down as the number goes up. So the dynamic's a little bit different. I'll work more with senior leadership and management there. And that's also valuable, Mm -hmm. but I really like being able to work with the reps as well. So I try to target companies that are kind of in that general zone. Industry doesn't really matter as long as somebody's not selling a commodity and there's some complexity to the sales cycle. I don't generally sell to large enterprise companies. I don't generally work with companies that have sales cycles that are longer than a year, but otherwise that's kind of my target prospect. 
the way to reach me, obviously, like find me on LinkedIn, right? Or, or I also have my own website at davidmassover.com. Or you can just Google me, David Massover with one S and, you know, I'll come up. I Google pretty well. Awesome. Well, David, thanks so much for joining today. Really appreciate it. Learned a lot and look forward to seeing you soon on LinkedIn. Yeah, this is great. Thanks, Morgan. Happy to be here. Yep. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. If you love what you heard, be sure to head back to morgandwilliams.com and go over to the podcast page for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on the next value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and make sure to take action.